This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Rayshep. We've got a wonderful show for you today. We've got the uh, non-wine show to be on the wine radio show (laughs) on another bottle down here. We have James Sutton, who is quality technician from Austin East Cider. So we're going to be talking about cider. It's going to be really awesome. I am such a fan of cider. Uh, And Jeff Bell here is in the house, who is uh, Toji, which is a head brewer of Texas Sake Company. So we're going to be talking about sake, uh, getting into how how we make it, all of the misconceptions that we might have and a whole lot more, so stay tuned. get into this here. We're talking about, we normally talk about wine for an hour every week, but uh, there's so much going on and so many exciting things happening in the greater world of beverages. And, uh, and, and I have two of you here who are making high quality products in various fields. So Cider, James Sutton, thank you for being on the show. Let's give your mic a test out there. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. And and uh, yeah, anytime I get to talk cider and sake, I am a happy man. Me too. <laughs> well, let's, you know, so you are a um, quality technician of, of Austin East Ciders. And I also say you, you have another added job of uh, fire prevention director. Is that correct? Yeah. Fire safety <laughs> is my real passion. <laughs> fire safety. <laughs> well, um so so let's get let's get into cider talking about cider um what what can you give us the broad brushstrokes what what is cider what does cider mean to you okay so for everyone listening i'm i sure hope that they're all familiar with wine um we are categorized um both locally in the state of texas and federally by the ttb as a winemaker we are a bittner Um, and I didn't know that before the show. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we make a fruit wine, um, fermented apples. So we start out with, um, dehydrated apples from Europe, um, both bittersweet and dessert varieties, which are unlike culinary varieties. I think if you, if you looked at a list of cider making apples, you would not recognize any of the uh, varieties. No, there's no granny Smith. There's no red delicious that are making any, you know, really great cider. Right. Um, and, so and, we start. And, with, and then th- those apples come from anywhere in particular in Europe or just a variety of vineyard of uh, orchards? Um, so we work with a, a supplier who supplies us with a, a large blend of apples that, so we use. Um, and how do they look, you know? Yeah. So we have both bittersweet and dessert. We mm-hmm. use majority bittersweet, but there's also a dessert component. And um, they're selected for their acid and tannin content, yeah. which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. They've 
vary throughout the region. And, um, it's a, it's a blend of really, I think I want to say it's like seven or eight different apples in each. So really, um, when you taste an Austin East ciders, you know, even original dry cider, you're really tasting say, you know, 20 different apple varieties. Um, and they're blended to give us a good consistent product. Um, because you know, we don't, we don't make cider only during harvest. Right. Um, we make it year round. Right, right. So that's that's really important to us that we get a consistent product. Um, for me especially, working in quality. Right, right. And so how do the how do the apples look? I mean, are they a little thicker skin? Can, I mean, if you bite into them, do they taste different? So they taste obviously different than a, a, a grocery store apple. So so they arrive to us in a dehydrated form. Okay. Um, it's a it's a concentrate for lack of a better term. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's all apple juice. Yeah. And then, and, and, uh, and then you, do you actually do the pressing there at the, um, at the production facility? No, no, no. Oh. The, the pressing occurs in, in, in the, Europe. Okay. In Europe. We okay. receive the, the pressed apple juice. And, and that's how you can be doing it all year round essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty, pretty crucial to that process. And it's, um, it's really common. Um, I yeah. think you'd be pretty hard pressed to find a cidery <laughs> in Austin that's, um, you know, pressing apples year round. Right, right, right. I mean, I've seen some of those videos, and it's just wild how you know how how these presses look. And mm-hmm. um, so great. So you so you so you bring this in, and then uh, and then your your job is kind of to to monitor fermentation, or and um, how does that go down? Yeah, so we we begin with the the apple juice. We ferment it with a white wine yeast. We ferment to dryness, and then we go through and blend it into our products. Yeah, so whether you're making a sweeter cider style or a dry cider, it still always comes down to dryness. Yes, yes. Um, uh, You might say that we only make one kind of cider, um, and then we blend them into our products, whether it's um, the pineapple that yeah. has been really popular this past season um, with a it blended with an organic pineapple um, and then it's packaged right right and um, and canned and, and you do some bottles right is there what are your kind of uh, impressions on on that um, I mean you know cans as far as cans and bottles I mean um, even though you're a winery you know the packaging looks a little bit more beer like right yeah, yeah, that's uh, something that I think we all, definitely all of us in this room and everyone in the industry, um, cider especially, we're often viewed as somewhere in between. Right. We want to get into a, a new place. Yeah. We talk to the beer buyer, right. not the wine buyer. Right, right. But, you know, Texas considers it a winery, and federally we're a winery. Yeah. But when you look at the staff, it's like a lot of beer people and, you know, a few wine people. right. Do you think, um, I mean, do you see, you know, and just talking with folks from the public, do you see that more folks go from the beer side into the cider, uh, you know, kind of start out drinking beer and then if they're looking for something different to go into the world of cider, uh, as opposed to coming from wine, you know? Um, it, it, it's hard to say. There's, I think, a really wide group of people that are um, starting to get into cider. There's definitely a strong component of um former gluten consumers right. who are now gluten-free for one reason or another right. who've really been turned on to our cider. Yeah. Um, just the other day I was in a Whole Foods actually and there was a woman picking up the hop and she like kind of looked at it and looked at me. I was like, <laughs> uh, you 
do I have a shirt on? Didn't have a shirt on. And she was like, how is this? She must have been a really friendly person. I was like, oh, that's really good. I work there in case you didn't know that or divine it somehow. Right. Um, and she was like, yeah, I really like the hopped. I'm a celiac. Yeah. I'm recently diagnosed and the hop reminds me of beer. Wow. So that's a definitely a strong segment that I hope we're appealing to. Yeah. I mean, do you have, you know, when we kind of get into the taste of cider as opposed to beer, I mean, there's a little, there's more acidity to it, right? And it, and, and that, um, you know, do you pay it at certain things when you're doing kind of production and quality mm-hmm. control? Are you measuring the pH and the acidity? And, and when you taste it, obviously, I'm sure that you're tasting it along the, the process. Um, you know, what do you look for in high quality cider? Um, so yeah, you're, you're right on the money. It is, it is a little bit more, um, acidic than beer. Right. Um, but as far as wine goes, we're, I, I think at least, uh, middle of the road, mm-hmm. um, our ciders finish around, you know, in the can at about 3.5 as far as pH goes. Wow. Um, yeah. it, there's a little bit of variation between the products, but they're all right around 3.5. So I know yeah, and for folks Whites. listening out there, uh, you know, 3.5 is a, is a relatively low pH for red wine and a relatively high pH for white wine. So, yeah, right in that middle range there. Exactly, Interesting. exactly. Okay, um, I thought it was higher. Yeah, but... The, the sweetness. The sweetness, because all of our products are back-sweetened, that sweetness plays really well with the with the um, acidity yeah. in cider. So when you have those little degrees of varying acidity, do you, are, are you careful as to, okay, well, we might not add as much sugar because, you know, and for folks listening out there, sweetness and acidity always balance each other out. And a higher acid, you can taste this, the, the sweetness less, right? So is that kind of something that to, to have a consistent product uh, you're, you're really con- concentrated on? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's one of the main things. Um, because our product is, you know, it's fizzy, it's got carbonation, it's right. alcoholic, it's sweet, and it's acidic. Yeah. Those are the main things that we're working with. Right. So those are like our four big, like primary flavor contributors. Right. So we're, we're definitely monitoring them pretty thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, throughout the entire process. Hmm. So, so then, um, give us a little bit of a day to day, you know, you're, you're, you're there producing it and, 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 and making sure quality is consistent and, you know, how many times do you brew and, and, or, or, or you know, have these fermentations? Are they humongous tanks? Are they smaller tanks? Paint us the picture of, of kind of life in the, in the brewery. Okay. Or winery. So, <laughs> winery. Yeah. We never know what to call it. Is it the cidery? Is it cidery. the brewery? We're going we're gonna to say cidery here okay. from now on. Yeah, yeah. We usually say cidery. Um, so the cidery is um, largely segmented into three portions. We have a, a warehousing portion, a fermentation hall, and a packaging hall. Yeah. Um, the packaging hall has a few tanks. We call them bright tanks, conditioning tanks, um, whatever you may call them. And we have, I want to say, 14 fermentation vessels. Um, they're all 6,000 gallons, which 6, if gallons. you think in beer is 200 barrels. Wow. Um, so, yeah, really quite large. We um, pretty much only do that that batch size. Yeah. Uh, it takes a significant amount of time to ferment, about 14 days more or less. Okay. Um, and the as far as packaging goes, it takes I want to say like over twelve hours to can a full batch. Wow! Yeah. Um, and the fermentation hall, I'd say we're we're making cider every day. Um, 
So you're active somewhere every the, day. Doing somewhere s- in the process, we're making cider every day, seven days a week. Wow. Um, whether it's, you know, actually creating a product and getting it ready to ferment or we're blending it and back sweetening it to make it into the, the product that someone will receive in a can. Right. So after fermentation, does it kind of hang out and chill out a little bit before it starts to get carbonated or, or sweetened? And, you know, do, do you see, you know, I'm sure you have fun tasting it to make sure that it's the right, the right moment to, to do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, once it, once it reaches dryness, mm-hmm. we'll crash it down, we'll drop the temperature, we'll filter it cold. Okay, and then that's the point at which we had the the filtered, unblended, dry product, um, right. which is really delicious. Yeah, um, in and of itself, we'll begin to blend it and back sweeten it and add um, what will make it a packaged product. Right. Then we'll transfer it, keep it chilled, carbonate it, um, sulfide it, yeah, and then package it. Yeah. So, so, uh, can we talk about that since, you know, uh, sulfites do stabilize things and, you know, I've been pretty vocal on this show just as far as, you know, oftentimes, uh, with wine, there is a certain amount of sulfites that are necessary just for stabilizing and, you know, for aging too. Um, is the, the same thing is, is true with, uh, why you use sulfites in the cidery? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, even though it's filtered, there's going to be some amount of yeast still, in there right and anytime you get yeast and sugar you you got you don't want exploding cans right Um, yeah (laughs) as as far as i know yeah we haven't had any exploding cans that's good it's probably (laughs) part of my job right that's right that's right well um well awesome do you do you guys taste a lot of cider in uh, other people's cider you know the french ciders and whatnot in the in the in the in the cidery just to kind of know what's going on or are you focused super focused on texas and what you guys do um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, it's not, not a part of my job, but I, I do like <laughs> cider making and drinking cider. So right. that's a, that's something that we all get together for fun. Sure. We like to drink a lot of beer. Okay. Um, and the cider is pretty popular with friends at breweries for whatever reasons. Yeah. I guess it's kind of, you know, you work with one all day kind of go to one well for me you know for me it's 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 nice because it can be so refreshing and you know that acidity just kind of pops and um you know we tasted uh we tasted and and we'll talk about sake acidity in 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 a little bit here with jeff but um it seems like you know the the cider acidity has a little as a little bit more kind of freshness and and it's a good way to kind of maybe cut through certain foods or you know that sort of thing do you guys do you have a favorite cider and food pairing my favorite cider (laughs) and food pairing um yeah, yeah. Okay. I would say I really like to drink the the hopped with like a really Thai Thai peanut dish. spiciness. Oh, awesome! Um, you know, it's bitter and it's still just as acidic, if not a little bit more acidic. Okay. Um, the the hopped is really one of my favorites. The the aromatics with the spiciness, it's yeah, my favorite. Cool. So you made you you, you made some allusions to um, you know the different kinds the different styles, but let's let's dig into them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of. What is, you know, kind of the, the flagship and, and, you know, give us a little description of it. The, is that what we tasted out yeah, in the lobby? Yeah, okay, yeah, wonderful. The, the flagship is our original dry. I'm not sure which percentage of sales it makes up okay. anymore mm-hmm. after the launch of pineapple. Because pineapple was really, really widely popular this past summer. We won a, the Austin Chronicles 
drink of the summer. Oh wow, which is really cool. Okay, very well. Congratulations. So, Thanks. how long have you, you know, how long have you been producing the original dry? I mean, uh, you know, give us a scope of a little bit of you know that that brand and and how long it's been been on the market. Uh, quite a while. I want to say since twenty two thousand. I know that this is not your job. Twelve. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been with the company for about a year, so it's definitely been around since then. It was one of the first brands we started with. Right. We did the. The original, some small batches, um, one called Gold Top that we haven't done in a long time. Then we did the honey. Yeah, I want to talk. I want to ask pineapple. you about Gold Top because that was um, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that's a it's a big employee secret. Everyone's like, bring back the Gold Top. Yeah. Like, no, don't bring it back. Um, so yeah, we we'd like to see Gold Top. Um, come back. We're we're working on some some other new flavors to bring okay. back as well. Well, I'm going to try and try and draw that out of you. But for now, we have you know the original dry and kind of the flagship, and then the pineapple and mm-hmm. the hop and as well. So, talk about the pineapple. Is it is it you know very overtly pineapple-y or you know does it you know I, I've actually never had it, so you know I'm just kind of curious to paint a picture of that. Okay, so I would. De- I would say it, it really depends on how how sweet you like your alcoholic beverage, be right, it right. sake, wine, cider, beer. Um, for me, the pineapple is a little on the sweet side, um, but I have friends who prefer sweeter things. They, the honey was their favorite till they tried it. Right. To them, the sweetness is a little bit more restrained. Um, I will say that, that the fruit character in and of itself is is pretty subtle. Okay. Subtle enough that you can, you know, still pull taste the some apple, the, right? Yeah, yeah. You still get that good cider flavor, but right. you get some of the, the earthiness even of the the pineapple. Oh, interesting. Very cool. And you're still making the honey as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. And then and that is simply your base cider that then has uh, plus Texas plus honey. Texas honey. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what else? And then the, the hopped one is, uh, so, so those are the four key, um, key, key brands. Yes. Those are our four flavors for now. Yeah. Well, so do you, do you add the, when do you add the hops? So, you know, uh, I mean, I'm a pretty big beer nut as well. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you're not boiling the, you know, the wort to make beer, which no. is when you add the hops. And so it's going to be more of a dry hop situation. Um, it's similar to that. Okay. Um, I'm not actually allowed to say because it is a proprietary and there okay. we have competitors that are making similar products. So in case anyone else is listening, I can't really say, but I, totally I can say that, that yeah. um, we use a couple different varieties from the Pacific Northwest. We do use American hops. Okay. And um, they are added in a, in a later stage so that we can get a good... Um, flavor uh-huh. um, in terms of you know that green kind of grassy um, even sweet depending on how you perceive right. it flavor yeah. um, a good earthy kind of spicy aroma mm-hmm. and a, a tad of bitterness okay so it's maybe not as bitter as your you know your beer hop profiles no not nearly yeah. um, if you're familiar with IBUs um, we we have measured it at, at 15 IBUs. 15 IBUs. Okay, so yeah. minuscule, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, cool. Um, 
the, the, that, it's a nice, nice little roundup of, of ciders. What, what are, can you mention anything that you're working on? Or, uh, I think you made a reference to a, to an oak aged cider. Yeah. Yeah. We just released our, um, rum barrel aged cider that's wow. going out in draft. I heard it's, uh, starting to hit the market pretty soon here. Very um, cool. So the, the barrel project that we have is, is a real, I guess, passion of mine. It's, all the products that have come out of it have been really great. We did a bourbon, did the tequila, which was phenomenal, and the rum, which might be my favorite yet. So those are kind of limited release uh, situation releases, and then when they're done, they're done. Yep, draft only, one time deal. Ah, uh, draft only. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. What? Um, so you use rum barrels. Where did you? Has so there's obviously been rum in them previously. Mm-hmm. Um, is that another kind of local uh, product that that you're getting from? Yeah, I want to say it was a uh, treaty oak treaty barrels oak. that they came out of. Well, good friends of the show as well mm-hmm. here. Um, <laughs> if you're just tuning in, uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. We're talking about cider. Uh, we're here with James Sutton, who is quality technician and uh, director of fire pre- prevention at Austin East Ciders. And if you want to follow along, uh, they have a wonderful website. It's austineastciders.com. Um, and, you know, East Ciders, we're on the east side here at Co-op. Uh, follow along at, at koop.org as well. Um, but you have a little bit of a news as far as what, what, what the evolution of the cidery, right? I mean, uh, it started out here in East Austin, obviously, Austin East Ciders, but you've grown a bit, right? Yeah, we've, we've grown pretty significantly, even in the time that I've been at the company. When I started, we were first over there um, where the bouldering project is. Right. Um, actually, that same address, 979 Springdale. Um, since then we've moved to a much larger, probably triple the size of facility, um, down off still, still on the East side. Okay. um, Southeast side. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Austin, Southeast ciders, um, off Ben White, um, we're just across the street from independence brewing on Todd Lane. And so, and then, and the goal of that is maybe to have it open to the public as well as a somewhat of a tasting room. Is that, uh, in effect yet? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, still in the planning stages, but okay. we're we're aiming. I've heard, I've heard dates thrown around, but I want to say them to get anyone too excited. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Springdale location is set to become a tap room, which I'm really excited about. Very cool. Um, yeah, because and and the fact that you are a winery, kind of you you follow those those laws of a of a winery, which are a little bit more open than that of a brewery, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, getting that direct consumer sale, getting people in so you can explain to them, you know, your process, how you're different, you know, right. Um, you know, what we all have to offer, you know, besides maybe, you know, to show that we can make more than four different kinds of cider. Right, right, right. And so, and so you'll, you'll be offering some, some things that are only available at the, at the, the cidery. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. Well, uh, keep us in tune with that and I'll keep listeners out there, uh, in tune with, uh, you know, the tasting room and whatnot. Um, We've got about five minutes left, and I'd kind of like to, before we, we move over to the sake portion of the show, um, I'd kind of like to get your impressions on where the industry is going. I mean, I feel like um, cider is booming. It's, um, you know, you, the Austin East Ciders has seen a lot of growth, um, but I see just on a nationwide scale, there's a renewed interest in cider, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely really booming, um, and that's uh, thankfully been a big, um, I don't know, grower, Blessing, grower yeah, of yeah. our our business. Sure, um, sure. And it's been really great to to be a part of as people get kind of turned on to um, cider that's you know maybe not just super syrupy and and sweet and bland. Right. Um, so that's something I'm really proud of that that we're that helping. dry style. So you yeah. see, and and you're you know since you really uh, you know have that that flagship the the dry cider. Mm-hmm. It's the dry cider movement which is kind of uh, really becoming more popular. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I think we often say it's like two thirds less sugar than most of our competitors. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's our dry, especially is significantly drier and, and even our sweet ciders are oftentimes less sweet than, than most others, than people even think they will be. Yeah. We, yeah. we try to be, you know, make, make tasteful, refreshing, um, really, really drinkable ciders. And you can see that, you know, top to bottom from our brand, um, even, you know, the 16 ounce pint can that we originally launched and, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, drinkable, you know, you grab a can and it's, it's there. Right. Yeah. Fresh and, and whatnot. Do you find, you know, you're so concentrated on subtle differences and making sure that the quality is there. Do you, do you, uh, have a preference as far as can or uh, keg? And is that kind of a debate that, that is happening, uh, with you guys, or do you feel like they're both neutral vessels and don't have an effect? Um, I, yeah, definitely externally. I always hear, you know, this and that about, you know, which is better and why it's better. Right. Um, but internally and personally, uh, kegs have the same lining as the cans. Right. So Uh, theoretically one's one's aluminum, one's steel. So one's easier to pick up. That's a, (laughs) that is very important. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you, um, you know, are you kind of worried about if, if, uh, if they're pouring it by keg, uh, if their lines are clean and all that kind of stuff, or does the distributor handle that mostly, or or are you really focused on that? Because, you know, you could produce the best product, but then if, if in, uh, delivery to the glass, it gets all, you know, uh, muddled, then, then that reflects poorly on you guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's, um, as, uh, and a person who's just OCD in everyday life, not to mention, <laughs> um, it's my job at work. Um, but I, the, the can is nice because they sealed up. Right. I take it, I measure it. I know that's what everyone who tries this is going to get. Right. Um, the draft is a little bit more out of hand, but we really love it because it allows us to be in more places. More people can have us and sure. it keeps those accounts open so that we can do draft only releases like, you know, our barrel age products, which right, right. Um, are really phenomenal. And people love it when people can get to try that the right. really off the wall stuff that we get to do. Awesome, man. Well, hey, keep up the good work. Uh, James Sutton is quality technician uh, of Austin East Ciders. And, uh, you know, stay in touch and, and keep us in tune with all the cool stuff that you have going on. And I, I promise to visit shortly. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Co-op Radio, KOOP 91.7 FM and KOOP.org. We do have to take a short break. We're uh, right at about 128 in the capital city so stay tuned we're going to hear from some announcements and we'll be right back Uh, we're going to bring in jeff bell from texas sake company stay tuned support comes from solar world providing complete solutions for entire solar systems big or small more information at solarworld.com 
Support for Co-op comes from Link and Pin Gallery, an artist-led space that offers a community and environment to discover local art. The gallery is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. More information is available at linkpinart.com. Okay, we are back. This is another bottle down, and we talk about wine for an hour uh, every every Tuesday from one to two p.m. And uh, but this week is a departure from that, and we we just had a wonderful uh, explanation of cider and what Austin East Ciders is doing. And now I'd like to bring in Jeff Bell, who is uh, he is the head brewer, and in the sake world, they call those. Toji's. Uh, he is the the Toji of Texas uh, Sake Company, right? That's Jeff, correct. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for coming into the co-op studios. Thanks it's a for having me. Pleasure to have you here. And uh, sake, I think, is such a, a misunderstood um, beast in the world of <laughs> wine and beverage and, and all of those things. So yeah. I'm really happy to kind of dig into the process a little bit sure. and then talk about what you guys are have going on in uh, in South Austin. Sure. Actually, we're in uh, North Austin, but North yeah, Austin, just now. north of the Triangle. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. OK. Just I've, off of Lamar. Very cool. Well, we'll get into all of that, um, but let's start telling folks about what sake is and how it's made. Okay, sure. Uh, sake is traditionally considered a, a rice wine. Um, it's tr- it was made um, in Japan um, thousands of years ago. Right. Um, and so it's uh, primarily used um, rice that's been milled. Um, mm-hmm. That rice grows um, as a specific strain. We use a Calrose rice, for okay. example. Um, it's grown, um, and the idea is you take the center of the patty, which is the most sweet area, right. um, produces the most starches, because we're looking for a lot of starch, um, and then we mill it um, down to a certain size, and the percentage is the size of what you want, and the higher, um, the lower the mill quality, such as the 70% is what we use, okay. um, the higher the quality of sake. Yeah. So then that is milled by tumbling, so it's a really long process, actually, and it's a pretty expensive process, Right. so we have manufacturers do that for us. Yeah. And, I've heard um, that the, the equipment to actually measure how, what percentage to take off is incredibly complex, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's nice to have a big manufacturer handle some of that for us. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like like making those baby carrots, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, those go through a tumbling <laughs> yes, thing true. to remove the outer layers. You know. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, and they use the the leftovers for flour and husks for things as well. Yeah. Um, but we just want just the nice fine rice, right? You know. Um, and so we also use. Um, uh, this stuff called koji, which is an enzyme that's grown. Um, it's actually called asparagus or rosé, which is grown on the actual rice. And so the idea behind the koji is that it wants to eat the rice and convert it to sugars. So to yeah. grow the koji, we have a stronger, more firm rice. And the stronger and the harder it is to eat that rice, the more stable it becomes, as well as more enzymes will be created from that. Oh, interesting. So you so. use a different strain of rice for the koji production. No. no. Oh, okay. No, same strain of rice. The, the key to it is um, making sure there's a certain temperature yeah. to the koji um, building when you build up the koji and grow the koji. Right. Um, a higher temperature will give you more sugars, lower temperature will give you more alcohol. So it's very similar to the malting process in beer, right. but it's growing you know, a bacteria, basically, uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> a mold <laughs> growing on a, a rice. And so when that's stabilized and dried, um, we integrate water, rice that's been steamed, and there's a several layers of process we do before we actually integrate everything. Right. But that creates sugars. And you're doing this here in Austin? Yes, we are. 
Wow, that's yeah. it's, it's, that's very cool. So, um, and we we should mention that we were talking before that you are the only uh, sake producer in all of Texas. That's correct. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. Um, now you come from a beer background. The first time that you had to kind of grow this mold, uh, were you? Was it kind of difficult to to handle? Because you know, in beer brewing, it's always like if if there's you know bacteria, you know, that's sure. maybe not a good thing. Sure, but. no, uh, closed vessels is the way to go. Um, we okay. we do it, um, but we also buy it as well because of production. You know, it really is cost effective to have other people make it for us as well. Right, right. Um, but a closed containers simple enough. Uh, a lot of uh, companies have these real safe rooms, um, especially for growing these koji molds and we don't have that right now so it's a lot easier to import it and get it from california all our rice is coming from california right um and you know it's just a lot lot easier and safer to kind of get it that way but we have a system that works on a small scale yeah and then so so you take that so so there the uh sugars or the starches in the rice become fermentable sugars through that mold and then uh and then and then you go through a fermentation process somewhat similar to that of beer is that is that in true? a way it's like lagering we do things cold okay. but it's called a parallel fermentation so yeah. what we do is we integrate the koji the water and the rice and the way we use our rice is we clean it first by rinsing it heavily right. then we soak it for an hour to get at least a good 25 50 percent water intake right. and then we steam it for about 30 minutes until it's really absorbed just enough and it puffs up basically i call it um and then we put that into a cold water and add the koji in and then it starts to make a lot of sugars. While that's going on, we do this thing called a shubo. And this, all, all this process takes about two, about two, two and a half weeks total. Right. Um, but two weeks, we start one week with just building up this, the, the rice, the enzymes, as well as the, the yeast culture. And that sits there for seven days. Wow. And so we get enough of the yeast in there to build up more and more after that. And so what we're adding is just the rice after that process of cleaning it and soaking it. And we add more koji each time and right. water. So all it's doing is continuously building and building that over yeah. the course of another week and we call that the moto as well as the nakazomi and tomozoi process right and so it gets a lot of rice leave it to the japanese they have a specific term for every tiny thing every in the sake process, everything right? in the sake process <laughs> if you filter before you pasteurize versus pasteurize after filtering every little detail that we do and it's all process based um ingredients you have a handful of ingredients and locations so it's a little different than um wine that way right um, but it's a lot about process and that's yeah. that's the key ingredient honestly is to make sure your processes are similar um what we try to do is allow it to kind of happen on its own and we guide it through our systems now now a big piece of sake too is is the water source since you're Mm -hmm. you know in a lot of these historic regions in japan have have kind of been built around these water sources is is um is that something i mean can you correct for that do we have good water here we have we honestly have great water for this um it's not really the soft water that everyone wants um for specifically japanese perfect water um in different regions of japan too so we just filter filter it like crazy you know um several other companies i know of have really decent water and they do the same thing yeah so right. it's 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 a matter of just cleaning our austin water so i'm proud to say we have austin water in our yeah <laughs> in awesome our yeah absolutely <laughs> oh, hold on Let's, would, would, yeah as a chemist i love austin water i i brew beer at home too as well and it's it's hard but once you learn how to work with it it makes some oh, really yeah. good stuff yeah. So, what? What can, can we talk? Uh, can I have you describe that a little bit more? So, like, what what is good about Austin water? Uh, uh, pH and li- less bacteria, um, different mineral contents. 
Um, yeah, the, the mineral content is mostly what we're talking about. It, we have a pretty high pH that comes with the, the hard water, but if you correct for the pH and lower it, that, that hardness really um, gives a great profile, especially in beer. It gives uh, dryness, yeah. roundness, a, a full flavor, and you can taste it. Um, I mean, you can taste the difference between right, soft and hard right, water, right. and to me that the difference between the water profiles is even is magnified when you add more to it. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, you, folks, you heard it here on another bottle down that, that <laughs> we have really nice water here in Austin. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And these folks are really working it with it day to day. I am. And it adds, I think, a lot to the sake too, quite honestly. It gives it a nice crispness. You know, yeah. our sake is, uh, we tried to do it a little differently than other sakes that are out there. Um, yeah. So, so all American products too. You're, correct. You're, um, and uh, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so then after fermentation, there's there's a few um, things that that can happen that will change the style of the sake, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell well, us about that. We build a base uh, of sake. We call that nama, and we serve that at the cure as well. And that's the raw base. It's unpasteurized. It goes all the way up to about twenty percent. Yeah. And then so undiluted too. Undiluted. Yeah. Right. Um, and then what we do. We, um, we allow it to sit and condition. Um, this whole process takes about a month to a month and a half to two months total. Wow, yeah. um, we try to get it around the two-month range because um, once it conditions, it separates, and then it gets really clear because if, if you've ever seen sake, you have the cloudy sake and the clear sake. Right. And the clear sake is filtered. Yeah. The cloudy sake is unfiltered. It's, and it's all the same product. The only thing that we do is we water it down first. We get uh -huh. a nice flavor profile. We might blend another sake that we have sitting there that's actually mellowed even longer. So we can actually get a, a flavor profile that's very similar. So consistency, right. Our consistency is based on some blends primarily. Yeah. Okay. Um, because it is a process-oriented thing, if anything misses a day or two, you have to compensate with you know, by adding other types of sake to it. Right. So that's so one of the that, ways we get That fickle, that a day can really make a big Absolutely. difference. Absolutely. Wow. It's a very... Um, it's a pretty unstable product in some ways, but once you pasteurize it um, at least once and run it through filters, it really holds up well. Yeah. So. And, so, and, and so that's kind of an interesting thing as far as, you know, we were talking about sulfites. Mm -hmm. Overall, sake does not have no, sulfites. sulfites are definitely not good. <laughs> not for sake. It, not for sake. it, it breaks it apart. It, it, I tried because I was trying to get away from pasteurization because it's such an important process, but I also right. always wanted to experiment and look at new ideas. And so, yeah, sulfites did not work. So yeah. we decided to go with just one pasteurization process okay. and filtering. And that's a little different than some sakes out and there. And then that will make it shelf-stable at room temperature. Correct. Um, and, and that sort of thing. And, and if, if you have the NAMA, the unpasteurized, the consumers typically have to keep it uh, refrigerated, right? Yeah. For, so, okay. And drink sake young. I always say just drink it. Once it's out on the shelves, drink it right away. Right, you know, right, share right. It It's friends. not going to improve necessarily in the bottle like wine. You get a good six months, and then after that six months, it, it kind of stabilizes and holds, and then it starts to deteriorate towards the last of the year. Okay. So, But a lot of people are enjoying aged sake, too. It gives it a different flavor. It's just different. Right. And not right. many people are used to that flavor, you know. And okay. we're trying to make a very flavorful sake, too. So it's, you know, it's interesting and different approaches to it yeah yeah well let's take a look at um some of the styles that you make and um and and we tasted out in the lobby here at co-op uh we had some a wonderful tasting uh your junmai first let's talk about that i mean how, you know that is kind of like the pure sake right that's how i think okay. of it yeah that's the standard <laughs> sake that most people um draw are drawn to first you right. know it's more like a we try to make it more like a riesling meets a chardonnay so it's got a nice high-pitched flavor profile it's right. a little fruity it's got a good body to it um and what we do is we filter it you know 
pretty heavily, let's say, and use cartridge filters at high pressure to uh, make sure it's really clear and a nice clean flavor profile. But we yeah. we also don't carbon filter and we don't add alcohol to this product, right. which is something that a lot of Jumais will probably taste, which have, to me, a little less flavor. Yeah. You know. So, um, so, so that is a style that folks that, that some sake breweries do is they add the brewer's alcohol right. to, to give a different sort of character to it. Um, okay, well, well, great. And so, uh, this Junmai is, uh, it's wonderful. When I, when I tasted it, I thought it was lovely. It had this nice balanced and delicate fruit quality and, uh, but it was still, you know, uh, very, very rich. And I think it could go with a lot of foods too. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I say it can go with a lot more foods than just Sushi, just sushi and, right? And That's fish. one of the things, right? You know, I I think fried chicken works well. We have it with barbecue all the time. You know, it's 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 got a lot more, um, yeah, it's got a lot more character to it than some other sakes where you might want to just eat fish because fish can overpower right. some of the sakes because it's kind of meant for that. Sakes kind of some of them are a little bland, let's right, say, right. and whereas mine has a little more flavor. So yeah, barbecue ribs work great with it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So so you know, Junmai, we have cl- it's clear mm-hmm. and um, served usually chilled a little bit, right? Yeah. And then uh, the next the next sake that we tasted was the um, was the nigori, mm-hmm. right? So that so that's the translation for cloudy. Tell us sure. about that. So what we do for uh, nigori is we water, you know, again get our flavor profile organized. I usually add a little sweeter sake to that because people like generally like it a little bit more. They call it effervescent and a right. little bit more lively and sweeter. So I okay. usually blend some sakes for that, and then we get the right profile for how much kasu, which is the the sake lees that's yeah. left over, and it's really cloudy. And so we um, measure that into our vats and then pasteurize it together and then cool it right into bottle. So, so you'll separate the kasu um, and then add it back in so that it's controlled so you have it enough. Okay. Correct. But we don't, pa- we don't filter it, but we do pasteurize it. So it's easier for me to remove one whole process, right. which is nice. Oh, excellent. So. And then, so that'll have a little bit of a sweeter character, but you still serve it chilled, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think all the sakes should be served chilled. Um, you can serve them warm. It's not an issue. I would right. say definitely Jumai would be um, much better for that. Um, but as they say in Japan, they they, they drink it warm when it's cold. Okay. Outside. Yeah. <laughs> so they drink it cold when it's warm outside. So that's that's like it's the whole normally idea. pretty warm outside exactly. here in, in Austin, exactly. Texas. <laughs> exactly. Well, great. Um, so then, then, then you also brought something special that is that was uh, only from the from the the, the winery and the t- or the, the tasting room mm-hmm. um, is the nama that we actually had that and to me uh, th- so this was unpasteurized uh, but still kind of clear right mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have those those lees the, the cloudiness to it yeah. uh, and I think that it's it's wild uh, for folks who have never tried unpasteurized uh, sake it's you know it's it's very um, fruity and it and it's just like kind of the flavor is just amplified. Is, is that with, is yeah. that kind of a good way of looking yeah. at it? I think it smells like cotton candy too when it's fermenting and stuff. And it's got this, it's un, it's hard to describe because there's many layers to it. Yeah. And a lot of people that have tasted it, they go, I don't even know what to say. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's why I kind of got into the sake is the raw unpasteurized stuff is the most flavorful, most interesting. Right. And then you didn't dilute it. So it's got even structure as well from the uh, alcohol. It's, it's very thick. Wonderful. <laughs> it's got yeah. legs. <laughs> Put it that way. You can see it has legs. <laughs> 
definitely has legs, which we're always concerned about uh, here here on the wine show. <laughs> uh, and then and then you're you're also now experimenting with oak barrels. So we see oak sure. barrels experimenting in the beer world and the sake sure. world as well. Yeah, and we've been uh, toasting our own chips, and we use chips specifically um, because I can control the toast of it very well, and also we can get the flavor profile done very quickly because we don't want to age sake. So I'm trying to do it very quickly to get the same flavor profile without ah, right. aging it for a long time. Yeah, and so we have a process to do that. Well, it was very balanced. I, I was I very much enjoyed how you know you got this hint of cedar and woodiness and uh, and as we were talking before the show, it almost seemed like it was uh, you know in that oaky chardonnay category, and sure. it gives it a little bit more breadth and 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 body to it as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, it was wonderful. Um, we are going to take a short break. We're actually going to hear from our wine events calendar uh, and uh, for a few minutes, and then we are going to hear some announcements. We'll be right back with Jeff Bell from Texas Sake Company, and I uh, hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Tuesday, January 24th, 2017, and it's time for the wine events calendar. We've had a slow start to the year in terms of wine happenings for the Austin area, but boy are they picking up, now that folks are getting over the holiday madness and maybe having a couple weeks off. This Thursday, January 26th, will be a huge Oregon wine event at the JW Marriott called Pinot in the City. Over 60 wineries from Oregon's Willamette Valley will be showcasing their wines. For more information, go to Willamette Valley. I'm sorry, WillametWines.com. Sunday, January 29th, Keeper Collection will be putting on Psalms Under Fire at the ATX Conference Center. This is a yearly sommelier competition where three advanced sommeliers will have to create pairings on the fly and pair it with courses from Hudson's on the Bend. For more information there, go to KeeperCollection.com. Monday, January 30th, at Italic, from 4.30 to 6.30, there will be a tasting of wines from Felsina Winery in Tuscany. Then they'll be pouring those wines with a three-course tasting menu, all set up by Chef Drew Curran and Master Sommelier Craig Collins. For, from the winery, Chiari Leonini will be present to tell folks more about the wines. Uh, for more information there, go to facebook.com slash italicatx. Tuesday, January 31st at 7 p.m., there will be a four-course pairing dinner at Andiamo featuring the wines of Lombardia. For more information there, go to andiamoitaliano.com. And if you have a wine-related groovy event that you would like mentioned on the calendar, please send me an email at markrayshap at koop.org. Okay, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is KOOP 91.7 FM and KOOP.org. 
Um, wonderful. We're talking sake, and uh, and we're here with Jeff Bell, who is head brewer, and in the sake world, they call that uh, toji. And uh, we're talking about his brewery, and in the sake world, they call that a kura uh, here in North Austin, uh, north of the Triangle. And uh, Jeff, you, the the um, the tasting room is open to the public, correct? That's correct. And um, and do you do kind of events there? You do tastings, sure. that sort of thing. Yeah, we're open on uh, Fridays and Saturdays from six to eleven p.m. Yeah. We have a, a basically a, a sake bar where we um, have lots of different sake to taste and cocktails. Yeah. And we do events as well. We just had a, a tea ceremony event that was really well received. We had lots of people there, a couple hundred, I think. So cool. it was very busy. Um, they had a really great experience because we had a, a tea uh, ceremony repeat for four or five times. So everyone got this whole experience of a, a traditional Japanese ceremony while also enjoying some cocktails that we made, which was some uh, green tea Very cocktails cool. as well. So can folks find out about the, those events and whatnot from your website? Yes. That TXSake.com? Yep, www.txsake.com, as Very well cool. as we're on Facebook as well. Okay, great. There. Yeah, We do a lot of events through that too. I will be, uh, I will be definitely following along. Sure. Um, well, great. You know, we're, we're, we're here. Uh, this is exciting to have a sake brewery in Austin. And, you know, how do you see the sake industry going? I mean, you mentioned kind of cocktails and whatnot. Sure. It's, it, that's, it's a really cool thing. People are using all kinds of things to make cocktails and, and that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. you see just like the cider industry, this is the sake industry really booming? I think uh, the cocktails are definitely coming back in a major way between all the craft distilleries going on. But also we find that people that don't have liquor licenses use sake because it's got a real neutral base to it, as well as um, you can really, you can explore a lot of ideas. And that's the reason why we started doing the Oak was because uh, you can really make a, a sake cocktail in a restaurant without having you know, liquor at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, it's a little bit higher than wine, right, and alcohol. and It's actually uh, about 14%. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. wonderful. Um, and then, of course, the Nama is higher because that right. was undiluted. Yeah, right? that's the strong, that's about 20%. Yeah, and so, um, so wonderful. So people are using it to having cocktails. Um, do you see like a particular style uh, taking off? I mean, I, I feel like I think most people think of the nigori when they think of sake. Right. Does that continue to be um, popular or is the drier drinmai uh, becoming more popular just like in the cider world? Sure. I, I see um, nigori usually is the first go-to for people to repeat and drink a lot at the, at the, the bar. Um, right. One of the things I, I find that they start with drinmai um, and then when they start tasting Nama, that's pretty much what they like yes. <laughs> a lot of times, especially at the bar. So that's why we did the cocktails. So cocktails have been, I think, an interesting exploratory thing for yeah. the Jumai because it adds a lot more character to it without actually putting it into the product. We, yeah. we do uh, a habanero, cilantro, um, uh, mango cocktail. Wow. We do um, a cucumber, basil, ginger cocktail as well. And now we're doing the green tea, and then we do cider uh, and uh, sake as well, hot, you know, those kinds of things. Because it keeps the, the regulars coming back, and people really sure. get an idea of what they can use it for. Well, give us, so so. how do you make that, um, I'm super curious here to, to, to make the uh, the cucumber uh, basil, do you just muddle everything Absolutely. together? Absolutely, muddle all the aromatics first. Over and, ice? Uh, ice? No, well, no, no we, no, we shake it in ice, and then we just put it in, you know, a cocktail glass. Uh, Cool. Um, but yeah, we muddle all the aromatics first, especially with the, um, you know, herbal stuff first. And then we add in the base, which would be a cucumber or the mango. Yeah. And then we, you know, save them, freeze them really fine and keep oxygen out and then you know, Very start cool. using them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, 
Thanks for the, thanks for the tip. Maybe yeah. maybe we can have a few recipes. If you can send me a few recipes, sure. up, I'll put them on the co-op blog. Absolutely. Koop.org, and uh, I'll put both of your websites links to your websites on the blog. So Excellent. that'll be fun. Um, so you know, I think that what would you say? I want to uh, with our few minutes remaining. We've got got about seven minutes remaining. Uh, I'd like to. What are your recommendations for folks uh, who are maybe intimidated about sake? I feel like there's a lot of intimidation. Um, well, what I've said also um, when I'm doing tastings is that a lot of people have had a bad experience with sake because it could be a, you know they had a a long night and they drank a lot and they right. ate a lot of fish and. Right. You can imagine that experience was in our techniques. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, well, wonderful. And then, and then, uh, you know, is there any sort of, you know, when you started learning about sake, was there, was there, um, you know, what resources did you use? Did you go to the web? Did you, you know, um, you know, how did you start tackling it? Uh, practice. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of web, a lot of web. Yeah. Um, but a lot of practice too. I think the practice was the best because when you learn that acidity keeps bacteria away when you do an initial, um, the shubo portion, we add lactic acid to keep the pH really low and keep all the bad guys away. And that right. builds up a much better process. And it's been used since 1960 in Japan and it's been a very formal process that we implemented. But you, I didn't know that until practicing right, you can do those right, things. Right. So yeah, a lot of practice has been good. And But as far as the appreciation side, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, what does Junmai mean? What does Ginjo mean? What does that Ginjo oh, mean? You know, those, all the, that kind that's of stuff. That's all finer rice, you know, yeah, rice yeah, milling yeah. and all that. All that I got immersed in because of the job, quite right, honestly. Right, I right. wanted to make sake because it's it was a mystery to me. Yeah. And so becoming part of the whole community, it's now less of a mystery. And now I hopefully can do something new with it. Yeah. Can, can you homebrew sake like, yes, you you know, with, with beer? I mean, I feel like there's a real strong homebrewing community. And sure. I've had some folks on on this show in the, in the past um, and, and some of the homebrewing uh, groups that, that, that are doing wonderful things. Sure. And, and can you do that with sake? Yes. That's how I learned yeah. primarily. Um, you do need to lager it. I recommend keeping it cold. You can do it warm, but it it doesn't last as long okay, <laughs> when you okay, do it cold, so you, get, you get a lot more shelf life and stability of flavor when you ferment it about 50 degrees to 45 degrees is what we do. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, you take your time with it a little bit more. It works out better. Yeah. Well, um, well, wonderful. Is, is there any, do you have any final thoughts as far as, you know, where, what this, what's the direction of the, of, of the brewery and, sure. you know, is, are, are you comfortable in your spot there? Are you outgrowing it? Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty small. Um, it was really a proof of concept from the original owner and we took it on three years ago. And in the last two years I've developed all new recipes and now that the, there's a pull to actually get a little larger. So our expansion will be happening hopefully in the new, you know, this yeah, new year yeah, yeah. we're looking at other spaces and all that kind of stuff. Cause we're pretty small down there. <laughs> you know, right. I got a little seven barrel brewery basically. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. We have, you know, two tanks that can handle a thousand liters. So we can, we can handle a fair amount per month. Yeah. And it's sake, you know, it's, it's a different price point. And do you see, um, do you see kind of sake breweries, um, around the U S popping up? I mean, is, is there, is there kind of this renewed interest in, in going local in the, in the, in the, in the sake industry Definitely. as well? I've yeah. had many people, even from England, um, ask me a lot of questions about starting sake. London really likes sake. UK overseas, a lot of countries really are into, um, 
other than beer things, let's say. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's been about 15 total uh, American breweries here. And a few of them, uh, yeah, are really new. And they usually start pretty small like us. So then they're, cool. getting, they're getting more traction. So. Well, very cool. Well, um, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. So we've been talking over this hour with Jeff Bell, who's Toji and head brewer at uh, Texas Sake Company, and James Sutton, who is uh, the for the first half of the show at Austin East Ciders. Um, guys, thank you so much for, for being on the show. And um, if you've missed any portion of this episode, you can, uh, of course, all of the co-op programming is available at uh, the um, at the uh, Radio Free America, and there's links uh, on the co-op website koop.org. And if uh, you'd like to access the the entire archive of this show, another bottle down, uh, you can access that at um, koop.org slash another bottle down. There will be a link to the archive. And uh, we've had some wonderful shows. We're going to continue in this new year to bring uh, exciting wine and beverage uh, programming to to you, uh, to the Austin Airwaves and around the, around the world. So um, next week, we're going to have a, a wonderful show of uh, some Italian winemakers. There's a big an Italian, ven- uh, Italian wine event uh, happening in Austin for the the industry. So we're going to bring in some Italian winemakers and hear from them. So stay tuned. My, my name is Mark Rayshop. This is Another Bottle Down. And we will see you next week, folks. Have a wonderful week.